Where do you end up when you walk away from God? Pastor Xavier Rees says, not where you want to be. All of life is vanity when lived apart from God. Solomon was the wisest man in the world when he walked with God. The perspective from which he is writing is one of hindsight, of having lived a life apart from God and the reality of the way every man will view life without God. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Pastor Xavier, you've joined me here in the studio to tell us about a new series we're starting today in the book of Ecclesiastes. Yes, Ecclesiastes is an interesting book. It's a book that has been misunderstood by many because it's so often taken out of context. The book records the wisest man, Solomon, who lived in a time when God blessed him so, but also, being the wisest, he had the potential of being the greatest fool. And truly, he proved it because he walked away from God. And therefore, he gives us many practical lessons of life. The book of Ecclesiastes shows us Solomon as a man who was blessed by God but walked away from God. And he looks at life apart from God and the difficulties, the questions, the confusions. And he ends up as an old man who has come back to God and recognizes there and walking away from God. And that's a lesson for everybody. And it speaks very clearly towards the close of the book that the youth is to remember God in the days of his youth, the Creator, before those difficult days come and there is no pleasure in them. And so the lesson is learn from the fool so that you can be wise. And so we look forward to the lessons. We pray that they would bless you and teach you the practical lessons of life. If you're being blessed, please write us. Drop us an email. We'd love to hear from you to see if God is using the studies. The Lord bless you. And we've heard from many of our listeners. But if we haven't heard from you yet, won't you take a minute to just jot a quick comment to let us know that you're part of our listening audience each day? We appreciate your feedback as vital input to the planning process of our broadcast ministry. And it helps to hear from you how we're being most effective. So, address your emails to simpletruths at ccpas.com. Or, you can address your letters to Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Now, I'll be repeating those at the close of the broadcast, but for now, it's time to get today's study underway, titled, How Do You View Life? Have you ever met or heard of an individual who was looked up to? Their character was exemplary and their wisdom was just, I mean, just incredible. Only to hear down the road after many years of walking with God that the person made a decision to live apart from God only to bring much hurt to their own life and devastation. So is the account of Solomon and the record of Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes is like a blinking red light that should catch each of our eye because too often we get so used to the red lights that we don't even see them. I presume you've been driving a long time and sometimes you're driving down the road and it's as red as red can be and you're just, you're going to go right through it. But that never happens when a red light is flashing. It catches us. And so the book of Ecclesiastes is a flashing red light 
to catch our eye and our ear, lest we should come to this very place that Solomon records for us. The preacher and teacher Solomon is going to instruct us on the danger of living apart from God that leads to experience only on the mere level of existence that ends up in emptiness. An existence that is viewed from futility, and he does this from three perspectives in his proclamation. And those things are found here in verses 1 down to 11. In verse 1 and 2, we have the proclamation of the preacher stated. In verses 3 through 8, we have the proclamation of the preacher illustrated. And then in verses 9 through 11, we have the proclamation of the preacher applied. Let me read verse 1 through 11. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit has a man from all his labor and whence he toils under the sun? One generation passes away, then another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. The sun also rises and the sun goes down and hasteneth to the place where it arose. The wind goes towards the south and turns around to the north and the wind whirls about continuously and comes again into its circuit. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place from which the rivers come, there they return again. All things are full of labor. Man cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. That which has been is what will be, and that which is done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it may be said, see, this is new? It has already been in ancient times before us. There is no remembrance of the former things, nor will there be any remembrance of the things that are to come by those who will come after. The view of futility of life is declared to us in these three ways by the proclamation of Solomon. And so the first proclamation that he gives to us is verse 1 and 2. The proclamation of the preacher is stated. Notice first in verse 1 that he first gives to us his person. His person, he identifies himself as the preacher. Now the word preacher uh, has its root meaning as to assemble or gather together people in order to address them. The word describes the office being exercised at the time of the writing of this book. He is addressing his generation. He's addressing the subjects of his kingdom. He's addressing the people of God. And God allowed this record to be kept, inspired by the Spirit of God, that it might instruct all the coming generations. And now it's down to this present generation this morning. The underlying function of the preacher is for the purpose of teaching. Therefore, some have translated the word the teacher. As a matter of fact, 
in chapter 12, or one of the last times the word preacher appears, in the same verse, you, you get the relationship between preacher and teacher on 12.9. It says, and moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yes, he pondered and sought out and set in order many proverbs. So he identifies himself as the preacher, and yet his function is that of a teacher. I am not so concerned with impressing you as I come before you. I am not so interested in convincing you into what I want you to do. I am very interested in teaching you. But I cannot live that teaching out for you, nor can you live it out for me. That is your responsibility. So he identifies himself as the preacher with the purpose of teaching. Notice, secondly, he identifies himself as the son of David. David has six sons born to him in Hebron, where he reigned for seven and a half years. Forget that in 1 Chronicles 3, 1 through 9. His first uh, born was Amnon, the second Daniel, the third was Absalom, and the fourth was Adonijah, the fifth was Shephatiah, and the sixth was Ithream. But David also had 11 sons born to him in Jerusalem as he reigned there for 33 years. Uh, four of them were born by Bathsheba, the daughter of Amiel. Interesting that uh, God always refers to her as the daughter of so-and-so or the wife of Uriah. God doesn't sweep our sin under the carpet. You ever notice that? God goes out of his way to paint his saints with warts and all that we might learn. There were nine others apart from Bathsheba, Ibar, Ishma, Eliphlet, Nogah, Nepheg, Japhia, Elishma, Eliada, and Eliphalet. There were also sons of David by his concubines, and along with that listing, and Tamar, their sister. She's an important character. The son of David. Which one is he? As he gives us the third description, uh, it helps us to narrow down who this is. He identifies himself as the king in Jerusalem. Adonijah attempted to usurp the kingdom from Solomon as David was dying. And both Nathan the prophet and Bathsheba were aware of this, and they contrived a little thing as they went in to talk to David and how Adonijah would wipe them all out and everything else, and, uh, and rightly so. And so David declared that Solomon was to be the one and to call Zadok the priest, and he was to anoint him with the oil from the tabernacle and declare him king. And so he did in 1 Kings 1, 28 through 53. Then David charged Solomon with his duties as he confronted him, as well as his duty to avenge his father of those that he had not taken care of. Once again, we see that God, even in his dying bed, he reveals David's sinfulness. And as you know, Solomon did carry those orders out against David's enemies, even those of his own household and army. And you find that in 1 Kings 2, 1 through 9. Now Solomon was given wisdom to reign by God, 
as he appeared to him in Gibeah for the first time in 1 Kings 3. Remember, Solomon said, you know, God says, ask what you will. And he says, well, you know, I'm, I'm like a child. I, I don't know how to go in and out and how to lead your great people, and I need wisdom. And God says, well, because you've asked wisdom and you haven't asked for riches and for popularity and fame and all that, I'm going to give you everything. And so, again, Solomon saw himself small, insignificant before the eyes of God at the beginning. But that's not hard to do for any of us at the beginning. Often in the scripture it says, and, and, and he was victorious until he was strong in himself and did not depend upon the Lord. There's the danger. Solomon's reign was confirmed by God at the dedication of the temple as Solomon prayed to God in 1 Kings 9, verse 1 through 9, and God blessed him. God said he would be with him. God would go before him, give him the kingdom. And so his person. Now we know at this time, now it's Solomon. It's not Elijah, it's not anything else. There's only one man who became king of Israel after David. That was his son Solomon. So this man here is Solomon. Notice secondly in verse 2 that we have his perception. Solomon declares that all is vanity. Solomon's perception is the expression of life lived out through the eyes of a person without God. All is vanity. The word vanity means vapor or breath. The repetition is added for emphasis in making the point. We do it all the time. Oh, why me? Why me? Why me? <laughs> We repeat something to give it emphasis. Speaks of the brevity, the shortness of time, or the thing being spoken about. The noun form appears 71 times in the Old Testament. 38 of those 71 times is found in the book of Ecclesiastes. Over half in this book. And the word appears in every chapter except for one, chapter 10. A key word to the book into the Old Testament. Now the word is used by Solomon to mean that that which is unsatisfying, a waste of time, frustration, absurd, useless, or of no profit. The context must be considered to give the appropriate meaning. Don't take one and give it to all. And we'll see this as we go through the book. The other expression that we find that's equivalent to it is the phrase grasping for the wind. Grasping after the wind gives you the right ideas. You know, you, you want to gra grab, but you can't grab air. It seems to be there, then it's gone. And, 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 and that's how he's describing life. Solomon is expressing a man-centered life as opposed to a God-centered life. Solomon as the preacher or teacher is revealing his own foolishness of having lived his life apart from God and the unsatisfying experience it brings, regardless of what one experiences. The perspective from which he is writing is one of hindsight, of having lived a life apart from God and the reality of the way every man and every woman will view life without God. This is the key to understanding Ecclesiastes. One cannot fail to see that at the end of the book, uh, Solomon shows clearly that he has returned to God as he does two things at the end. 
back in chapter 12, and I'm just going to give you, I'm not going to read it completely, but in chapter 12, verse 1 through 8, he proclaims to the youth to remember God in the days of their youth, before the difficult days come of old age. He speaks of the days when you have no more pleasure, when the, the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are not uh, darkened and the clouds do not return after the rain and the days when the keepers of the house tremble, speaking about your legs. And he gives a description of old age. And what is his message at the end of life here? He says, young people, don't be foolish like I was. Then also in verses 13 and 14 of chapter 12, he proclaims the conclusion of the matter, of the whole of the book. What is it? To fear God and to keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether it is good or whether it is evil. Verse 13 and 14. Solomon is giving us the benefit of his failure. An old man, having thrown his life away, lived for himself, living for things, And he's giving the perspective. He gives the prologue here in verse 1 through 11 of chapter 1. He gives the introduction, verse 12, down to 18. And then he goes from chapter 2, verse 1, all the way down to the end of the chapter 11. And he gives us one experience after another, and then it comes up to a big zero. You cannot fail to see that Solomon returned back to God. Now, the failure and the problem is in thinking that we can do the same thing and always come back to God. Anytime you see an older person come to God and be saved, they're a miracle, miracle, miracle. (laughs) Because 80 to 90% of decisions are made by youth in their teens or early 20s. And the older you get, the chances decrease. But we always tend to think, well, I can make that decision. No, you can't. There's no guarantee God will be knocking on the door of your heart. Oh, but the scripture says, you know, raise a uh, child in, uh, in the scripture and he will never depart. Is that a promise? If that's the case, then all we have to do is get one person saved and that's it. And, and they're going to go to heaven no matter what they do. Ooh, that's a, that's a very dangerous philosophy. The only way I know you're going to heaven is that I see you living out heaven here. I think a lot of people are are very unsafe in their security in Christ. Even as Paul says, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? Perish the thought, how should we who are dead to sin live any longer therein? Oh, be also careful. Be careful of R&Rs. You know what R&Rs are, right? Rest and relief, okay? You guys in the military, you know you take your R&R, you're over there in the bush, and you're out there, and you get 10, 20, 30 days, and then you get to go back. Be careful. R&Rs are very dangerous in the Lord. Many never make it back. The real danger is not in Christ, in the warfare. The real danger is in the R&R in the world. There's the danger. Now, notice 30 in verse 3, his point of question. What profit has a man from all his labor? Now, the question is in view of the toil man exerts. Here's the key. Under the sun. The expression under the sun is used by Solomon to indicate life here on earth apart from God on the earthly plane. Under the sun. A natural man. Now, the phrase is key to the book as much as the term vanity. 
Now Solomon observed that when one weighs all things out, the amount of labor and toil in comparison to the benefit a man receives, he says it's relatively small. And you and I would have to confess that that's not an absolute all the time, but a lot of it is in life, right? All the energy people put into it and then what they get in return, it's silly. Because their focus and emphasis is on the wrong things of life for the wrong reason. The word toil means misery, travail, energy expended. And the word appears 20 times in the book. It's key to the book. It is like the man who was lost in the desert and he just came to the end of himself. His energy is out and he sits down and rocks. Oh, death, death, come. Just come. All of a sudden he felt a little tap on his shoulder, turned around. There's death. He says, did you call? He says, yeah, can, can you help me get this pack on my back? I mean, some people can't see any good in life. They're, oh, death, death. But all of a sudden, they find out they're going to die and kind of gives them a fresh outlook, does it not? Take note that Solomon's person did not exempt him from coming to this place in his life. Please note that. Being David's son did not give him favor with God. Only if he lived as a son of God would he have favor with God. Now, some young people, you're riding on your parents' shirt tails. You have to have your own relationship. Because your dad was a preacher doesn't mean you're going to get in heaven. Because you've been here from the beginning doesn't mean you're going to heaven. Well, I've worked for God in the harvest and somebody loves you. Surely he'll let me in. No, no, he won't. Oh, be oh so careful. Personal relationship. Being the king of Jerusalem did not entitle him to a different standard, but in fact gave him a greater responsibility. To those much is given, much is required. Take notice also that Solomon's perception of life was mere, a mere breath, vapor, with no purpose or benefit due to not living and walking with God. You know, when you're not walking with God, man, it's like watching TV in black and white. <laughs> Dull. It can be the most beautiful day outside, and you walk out, and you go, the greatest of privileges in life without God can result in life being a mere existence. The greatest joy in life that God can give to us can one day become the greatest trials without Him. Let me give you a very vivid example. Marriage. Oh, boy. Marriage can be the greatest thing in the world, but if you're not walking with God, it is a hellhole. There's only one thing worse than being single, and that's being married and wishing you were single. Hmm. Whew. Not going to touch that. I'll let it go. <laughs> Take note that Solomon's evaluation of life towards the end was that no amount of toil was worth the little benefit that it brought. This was the wisest man in the world when he walked with God. This was the most foolish man in the world when he didn't walk with God. You see, it's a matter of choice, is it not? This is Solomon we're talking about. Not Fred Flintstone. Solomon. The proclamation of the preacher was stated all of life is vanity when lived apart from God. 
Pastor Xavier Reese, closing out our time today, illustrating how each of us gets to choose whether we live as a wise man or as a fool. It all depends on whether we're walking God's way or our way. And we've been listening to the first message of our brand new Ecclesiastes series titled, How Do You View Life? If you'd like to receive a copy for your own in-depth personal study, we can provide that for you on CD. We just ask that you send along $4 to help cover the costs. The title once again is, How Do You View Life? Request yours by writing, Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Now, for those wishing to place an email for Pastor Xavier, you can address it to simpletruths at ccpas.com for any comment or message regarding our broadcast that you'd like to leave. That's simpletruths at ccpas.com. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station, however you get in touch. This is helpful information as we monitor the impact of our radio ministry. More views from the one who's looked for life in all the wrong places on the next Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com